me, Lord. It is with hearts burdened by our our inadequacies, our failings, our limits, our frailty, that we come before you this morning and we acknowledge your power and your goodness. And as we look to your word, may we be reminded of all that you've done. And may that point us by faith to trust in all that you're going to do as we walk by faith in in your word, in your way, in your promise. All this we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Be seated this morning. I would encourage you to turn in your Bible to the book of Deuteronomy. And let me just say, it's okay if you have to turn to the, uh, the, the front of the Bible, to the table of contents, and figure out where in the world is the book of Deuteronomy. It is the fifth book of the Bible. We are working our way through the, the big story arc of the Bible this year as we are doing what we call a, the redemption story. And that's sort of a, a, a preaching and a Bible reading plan that we've married together so that all year long we're encouraging you to join us in a Bible reading plan as we read through the Bible. We have available on our website as well as in the foyer as you make your way out today, we have uh, copies of a Bible reading plan. And the, the, the purpose is this, that we would read through the Bible and that all along the way that we would invite you to, to join us day by day, week by week. And, and let me just encourage you with this too, because there are some type A in the room sort of like me, and it's real defeating to you if you miss a day here or there. And I get it. And, and, and if you're one of the people like me that wants to check all the boxes and do all the things, uh, well, I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to. I mean, I think that's an okay thing. But let me also encourage you that this isn't so much about checking every box. This isn't so much about being able to, you know, to, to cross off every day's reading as much as it is spending time in the Word of God and seeing that although the Bible is 66 books, it's really one story of God's plan to redeem a people that He loves through His own sacrifice so that we might walk in a right relationship with Him. We're in the book of Deuteronomy now. As we're nearly two months into this year, we're, we're almost to the middle part, if you're following along with the reading plan. We're almost to the middle of the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book, and it's the final book of the first major section of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible are sometimes referred to as the law, or sometimes they're referred to as the Pentateuch. The Hebrews would refer to it as the Tanakh, which was their word for law. But it's the first major section of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and now Deuteronomy. And maybe you've gotten to this, this book, and, and maybe, you're, maybe you've wondered before, where does that word even, what does Deuteronomy even mean? Where does that word come from? Well, the word Deuteronomy actually is derived from a Greek word. And so, in the time of Jesus, the Bible well, the Old Testament, that's, that's the scripture that they would have had in those days. The, the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus would have read would have 
likely been printed in the Greek language, or at least the common copies oftentimes printed in the Greek language, because that was the common language that people spoke. Now, a devout Hebrew would have had the Scriptures in Hebrew and would have known and studied from the Hebrew as well. But the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament Scriptures that were common both in Jesus' day and, and even in the, the time to come after that was known as the Septuagint. That's a whole other fancy word. We won't chase all of that, what that means. But the bottom line is this. Our word Deuteronomy comes from the Greek language because Greek was the common tongue of the day. And the word Deuteronomy just means second law. That's what it means. It's the second law. So if you're following the story arc of what's happened here, Moses has gathered together the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, and Moses is advanced in his years. And he knows that, that he is going to soon die. And he knows that because in the book of Numbers, God told him as much. If you read in the book of Numbers, the Lord told him that he was to remind the children of these truths. And then he was to go up on the mountain and that, that God was going to, well, essentially that he was going to die. That his days were numbered, his time had come effectively. And so Moses knows that he will not go into the promised land for events that have taken place in the, in the wilderness. And so he's preparing Israel, the nation, to enter into God's promise. You remember from Numbers chapter 13, they sent the spies into the promised land to figure out you know, what, the, what they were up against and to bring back a report about what it would take to go into the promised land and, and, and what it would take to basically inherit that promise, overrun these peoples. It was a, it was a scouting party. It, was, it had a sort of a military as well as, a, I suppose, a religious purpose. And the group of 12 spies came back. Ten of them gave the report that, oh, no, this is too much for us. Only Joshua and Caleb said, yes, this is, this is a lot, but we should go because the Lord is leading us to do this and we need to be faithful and obey. And so God's judgment against Israel was that all of those who were under the age of 20 would be allowed to enter into the promised land, but everyone over the age of 20 would die in the wilderness. They would not, they would not receive that promise. They would not live to experience the life in the promised land. And so Moses is now advanced in his years. The, the, the time in the wilderness has come 40 years they've now spent in the wilderness, and he's preparing Israel to cross over into the promised land. And before he departs, he gathers together the nation and he gives them the law of God again. He wants to remind them of all the things that the Lord has spoken to them in 40 years in the wilderness. He wants to remind them of the law that they heard God speak at Mount Sinai. He wants to remind them of the commandments of God, which the Lord literally inscribed on stone. He wants to remind them of all the things and all the ways and the meaning and the purpose behind all of it, that they would trust God and continue continue to follow him in all that was to come. So Deuteronomy means second law, or I think another helpful way to think of it is they're, they're going over the law again. He's reminding them of these things. And so I think that's a key to understanding even the passage that we're going to study together this morning. Some years ago, as we were in the midst of COVID, 
on, on some of those Sundays when everything was shut down in the spring of 2020, the Sundays when we weren't meeting in church because there was a uh, state ordinance in, uh, about gathering size. You remember all the mess. I don't need to go through all that. We all remember. We, we lived it, right? But in the midst of all of that, I preached a series of sermons that we, in, that we entitled, Always Remember to Never Forget. And that's really what I want to call this message this morning. Always remember to never forget. Because effectively what Moses is doing is he's gathered the nation to himself and he's reminding them. Is He's saying, always remember what God has done in order that you will never forget in the future where God is leading you. Because remembering what God has done in your past prepares you for what God wants to do in your future. Let me say that again because it's so important. Remembering what God has done in your past prepares you for what God wants to do in your future. And so if I were going to give this text a a, a title this morning, I would just simply call it the same. Always remember to never forget. Now in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you have what is perhaps one of the most famous, arguably the most famous, passage of Scripture for the Hebrew believer. Because in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, you have what they would refer to as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God. And, and, and on and on. And it, it gives them instructions. If you've, ever, if you've ever seen someone who is an Orthodox Jew and, and you've ever seen, perhaps you've seen them, that they'll have these leather straps that they wrap around their arms that rabbis will wrap. And they have, they have little boxes that are called phylacteries, little leather boxes that they will, that they will attach to their forehead. And, and the priests will wear robes with tassels and these various things. And a lot of that actually comes from the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. As God instructs the nation, through Moses here, of course, to remember the past, to remember what the Lord has done, remember the ways that He has spoken, remember how God has provided, remember how He led them out of captivity in Egypt into the wilderness, remember the promise of a a land that would flow with milk and honey and all that the Lord would be delivering to their hands, to always remember to never forget what God was doing in their lives. And this morning, I think that would be maybe a really helpful place for us to, uh, to camp out for a few moments. That we too would be reminded of what God has done in the past and what it is that He wants to do yet in the future. And so I want us to read from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Now we're not going to focus on the Shema itself today, but really the verses that follow that, beginning in verse 10. So read with me from Deuteronomy chapter 6 beginning in verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns, that's wells, that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Do you see what Moses is saying to Israel here? It's not if, but when. 
And when God does what he promised he would do, when God delivers these things into your hand, when the Lord leads you into cities that you did not build and wells that you did not dig, eating from trees that you did not plant. In other words, it's a reminder of all the things that God has done in the past. And when God is faithful to the word that he promised you and you're living in the blessing of all that God has provided, take care lest you forget the Lord. Isn't that our way? I mean, isn't that such an accurate description of what we do? That God, God blesses us and He gives us so much, and we're quick to look at all of the blessing and all of the things that the Lord has done, and rather than pointing all of our praise to Him and saying, God, thank you, we're so quick to say, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good that I did all of this. I'm pretty special. I, and, and, and we look inwardly, and, and we see ourselves as the, the source of, of, of everything. But we need to be reminded. We need to take care lest we forget. Let's keep reading in verse 23. So skip ahead to verse 23. And he brought us out from there, speaking, of course, of the land of Egypt. He brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. You see that? He brought us out that he might bring us in. That's a, good, that's a good turn of phrase that Moses has provided, but it's really meant to draw our attention to what the Lord has done. Keep reading verse 24. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as He has commanded us. May we take care to listen and obey what the Word of God says to us. May we be reminded of all that God has done in the past in order that we would prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in the future. This week has been an emotional week for our family and, and a sentimental week. Uh, you, you may know that we lost Rayleigh's mother this last week. Uh, she passed on Wednesday. Her funeral was yesterday. I do want to say just briefly thank you to the many of you who have reached out, who have texted, have stopped by, who came to the service yesterday, who have loved on us in so many ways. I, we sincerely, we appreciate that. We have felt loved and supported and encouraged through all of this, and, and I'm grateful for that. And there have been a lot of uh, looking at old pictures and telling old stories and all those things that you do uh, when you're preparing for a service this week. And as we've been walking through all of those things, it's been really fun. It's been really sentimental, too, to see the pictures of our kids in their earlier years. And I was thinking about all of that uh, today. I have a drawer in my desk that just has stuff that the kids have made here at church over the years, a lot of it for Father's Day. A lot of it are things that they've made through the years. And so this is, this is a rock, right? You can tell that perhaps by what I'm holding. And it says, my dad rocks. And it's got, uh, it's got just, you know, colors dabbed on there. And then on the back it says, I love you, Dad, Nixon. And that's in my drawer along with a whole host of other things. And we hold on to those things. They're sentimental. 
They're, they're reminders to us of things in the past. The old pictures, the old stories, the old things. You, you probably have all of those. We're not unique, I, I know. And we hold on to those things. And they're reminders to us of something far more special. This rock is, I mean, it's just a, it's just a simple rock, right? It's no big deal. But this rock is worth more to me than its weight in gold because of, because of just the sentimental value of it, right? We have things like that in our lives. And it's that same emotion, it's that same, it's that same depth of, 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 of memory and, 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 and all that we've been through and experience and all those things that become tied together that Moses invokes here when he says, remember the things that God has done in the past. And that's not just platitudes that he's giving. He's not just saying that, but his sincere desire is that they would take a trip down memory lane, that they would be reminded of all that God has done in the past because remembering what God has done in the past prepares you for what God will do in the future. And so in effect, he's saying, always remember to never forget what God has done for you. And so this morning, that's what I want us to see. You'll notice on your notes on the back side of the bulletin that there, there are two, two movements, if you will, to the message this morning. And the first one ties into the first three verses we read, verses 10, 11, and 12. And, and so I want us to always remember the power of God's promise. As we look at this passage of Scripture and we, and we take to heart what Moses is speaking here, this word that he's speaking over the nation, but as we trust through God's Holy Spirit, that this is also a word that's being spoken over us and and to us and for our good as well. May we always remember the power of God's promise. What was God's promise to Israel? His promise to Israel was simply this, that I'm going to take you into a land that is good. And that land will be to you, it will be a sign of my love for you and, and, and the chosen covenant relationship. And so he speaks of it here. A land full of houses and good things that you did not fill. Cisterns that you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And you will eat and be full. It's a reminder that God is the one who has promised. But notice notice the instruction that he gives here in verse 12. Take care lest you forget the Lord. Now, the specific wording here is really important. He doesn't just say, take care lest you forget, but he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. Because this isn't, the point of this isn't just that we remember the past and the stories, but rather that the past and the stories are tied to the God who walked with us in the past. The God who led us in the past and who is leading us into the future. This isn't just about forgetting the memories but rather forgetting the Lord. And so he says, take care lest you forget the Lord. It's pointing us to the power of God's promise. And so I I want us to see that God's promise will point you to his revelation. God's promise will point you to understand and know his revelation. What is his revelation? Well, Of course, we have a book in the Bible named Revelation, but really I'm talking about the Word of God, the revealed Word of God, His truth, His plan, His instruction for us that's been revealed to us in the world of theology and theological studies. We call this specific revelation. 
That's, that's what we, we call it. There are two types. If you're studying systematic theology, there are two types of revelation. We talk about general revelation and we talk about specific revelation. General revelation is when we look at the world and we see the beauty of the sunrise or we see the host of the stars in the sky or the majesty, something powerful like the waves that crash against the, uh, the beach or, or the, the beauty of the mountains in, in the distance. We look into the world, we see creation in all of its grandeur and its greatness and its majesty, and creation itself cries out that, I, that this is here by design, that there is a God. That's, that's the idea of general revelation, that God is pointing to us. And under that idea of general revelation, we all, often talk about God's common grace. But then the other side of that equation is what we refer to as specific revelation. And specific revelation is a pointed, a directed, a specific, just as the word says, revelation. It's God's word, his holy word, given to us in order order to point us in a specific direction, in order to instruct us in the way that we're to live, in order to show us his path and his plan. And God's promise points us to his plan. That's really what I'm saying. God's promise points us to His revelation because in His revelation we find His instruction, His commandments, His plan for our lives. You want to know what God's promise is for you? You want to know what God's purpose and His plan is for you? Then look to His Word because He's given it to us. And God will never lead you in a path that contradicts what He's revealed in His Word. God will never show you something or or give you a promise or lead you in a direction that would go against what He has spoken in His Word. So trust in His Word. Know His Word. Study His Word. That's why Bible study is so key. It's why we're working our way through the Bible together this year, is that we might know God's plan and His purpose for our lives. God's promise points us to His revelation. But not only that, we see that God's promise will point you to His faithful provision. It will point you to His faithful provision. Here He speaks of a land with good cities that you did not build, and on and on, right? These are reminders. God has been faithful in our lives in so many ways. And when we think about God's promise, it, just as we sang, it reminds us again and again and again and again that God has been faithful and good, and He provides for every need that we have. Now, to be fair, God doesn't always provide in the way we want God doesn't always give us everything we want when we want it, and He doesn't always do it according to how we would choose and we would dictate. But even in that, God is good. And He provides for us with His grace. God's promise will point you to His faithful provision. And then third, I I think it's important that we understand that God's promise will point you to His act of salvation. Not just his revelation and his plan, not just his provision, but also importantly, his salvation. Because God's his plan and his revelation are all of that is meant to point us to faith in Jesus, that we would trust him by faith, that we would understand that we were helpless and hopeless in our sin, but that God and his love and his mercy toward us made a way for us to be forgiven by sending Jesus to live a perfect life, to suffer and die on the cross, and ultimately being resurrected on the third day, conquering sin and death, so that we might place our faith and trust in Him. Does it take a lot to believe that? Yes, it does. 
That's not something that we arrive at merely by means of, 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 of ration and understanding. That is something that we, that we accept and we receive by faith. But oh, when we do, the overwhelming fountain of the grace of God that is poured out on us. Because God's promise will always point us to His act of salvation. This was true with the exodus for Israel. It's true in their specific case. Moses says, remember, think about all that they've lived through, all that they've seen. God parting the waters of the sea, walking through on dry land. Moses striking the rock with his staff and fountains of water coming forth. The manna that would just appear every morning as God's provision for them. Armies that fell at their hand again and again and again. God has provided for His people that they may know that He had a plan and a purpose for them. But all of that is meant to lead them into the ultimate fulfillment, the ultimate salvation that was theirs by faith if they would trust Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes, All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. And all of God's promises, do you understand that? When we think of all the promises, all the words that God has spoken, everything that He's done, all of that is pointing us to Jesus. It's like, like a, a series of, of, of bright, flashing neon lights pointing us to Jesus. All of God's promises find their yes in Him. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of what God is doing and what He's done so as we remember the power of God's promise, may we look to Jesus. The second part of this chapter, I think, points us to never forget. May we always remember, as we've seen in these first verses, to never forget. Verses 23, 24, 25. That we would never forget that God's promise is for your good Never forget that God's promise is for your good. He says so. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. That's what he told them in verse 22. God did all these things. And then in verse 23, and he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. And give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. Verse 24, the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God. And then here's the phrase, for our good always. Do you see? All that God has done. All the signs, all the ways that he's worked, all the things that have happened are for your good. Always. Now, if I'm being honest... Not everything feels like it's for my good. Maybe you've had similar experiences. I know that there are pains and hurts and there are heartaches. There are tragedies and trials that we go through in this life. And I, I'm not trying to minimize those. And I'm certainly not trying to just uh, brush over them or paint over them. I'm not saying that everything that happens is good. But what I am saying that in everything that happens, God is good. And in spite of even the very real presence of, of tragedy and, and, and all that we face, 
there is a God who is working to all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose, Romans 8.28 tells us. Even when my circumstance seems terrible, God is good. Even when I walk through heartache and tragedy, God is good. Even when I face pain, even when I see the the work of, of, of evil in this world, God is good. May we never forget that God's promise is for your good. How can He say that? How can He know? Because God's promise is always drawing us to Jesus. Remember? Always remember the power of God's promise. God's promise is always pointing us to Jesus. It's drawing us in faith to Jesus. And Jesus is good. And so if the promise of God is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus, all their promises find their yes in Him. If the promise of God is always pointing us to Jesus, then we can say with confidence that God is always working for our good because He's always working to point us to Jesus. And Jesus is good. So may we never forget that God's promise is for your good. There's a purpose to your past. When we look at all that God has done, remember what it was that Joseph spoke to his brothers in Genesis chapter 50? Think of all the heartache and all the pain that Joseph walked through. Remember, where, remember what led them to the land of Egypt in the first place. Why was Israel in Egypt to begin with? Well, because there was a worldwide famine. But God had sent Joseph through a series of circumstances that they would have never chosen and that they would have never orchestrated. God sent Joseph before them and God raised up Joseph to be quite literally the most powerful man in the world at save one. Second in command of the entire nation of Egypt, which was the world's premier power at this point. And God sent Joseph there so that he could preserve his people through a time of severe drought and famine. And then after hundreds of years in that land, God brought them out in a series of miracles that defy our understanding. God brought them out and He provided for them and He led them through the wilderness. Even though they grumbled, even though they grew discontent, even though they quite literally said to Moses again and again, did you bring us into this wilderness to die? And now on the eve of their quest into the promised land, Moses has gathered them together to say, May you never forget that all that God has done is for your good always. And it will be righteousness for us, he says, if we are careful to do. And so Joseph even said to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God used for good. No matter what comes in this world, even if it is evil, God can use it in a way that is for your good. If you will let it point you to Jesus. I shared yesterday at my my mother-in-law's funeral, a quote from C.H. Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher in his day, the, truly the, the most famous of preachers, and, and quite possibly perhaps the most famous Christian preacher ever. Spurgeon, who was known, who's commonly referred to as the Prince of Preachers. Spurgeon battled depression in his lifetime. And Spurgeon said that I have learned to kiss the wave that cast me against the rock of ages. 
what a great, what a great truth that we would learn that even the hardship and the pains work for our good if we will let it take us to the rock of ages. But the point is that we must obey him. Verse 25, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. What is this commandment? Well, it's quite literally everything else that's about to come. It's the second law. It's the Deuteronomy. If we will remember as a people to do what the Lord has instructed us to do, if we will remember to walk in obedience, to obey His laws, to follow His commands and His instructions, then it will be for us good and righteousness. It points us to obedience. Sometimes what may seem like punishment is really a a work of God's provision in our lives. May we trust Him. And since God's promise is for your good, may we obey Him, knowing that obedience brings blessing. When we obey God, we experience blessing. Obedience produces peace with God, not peach with God, by the way, in your notes. I noticed that after they were printed. That's on me. That's what uh, late nights and and sleepless hours of study get you, right? Uh, peach with God. It's not peach with God, it's peace with God. Obedience produces peace with God. And I'm not talking about fake peace, because we've all maybe had some fake peace, right? When we say and do, and we go through the motions, and we act a certain way, but it's not really what's happening below the surface. I'm talking about real peace, real abiding peace. What Paul refers to in the book of Philippians is the peace that passes understanding. Peace that sustains, peace that carries us. Obedience produces peace with God. Not only that, obedience promotes patience. When we obey the Lord, things will not always work out according to our timeline and our agenda. And for some of us, that's really easy because some people are just wired in such a way that we just kind of go with it. You just just go with life and you go through the motion. You know, you just kind of deal with it. I call those people psycho. I refer to them as crazy. Because I'm I'm so wired that I want to plan, I want to know. And not only that, if I'm being honest, I want to get to dictate what the plan is. And I want to control and I want to be in charge. And I, right? But when we follow the Lord, we have to surrender all of that. Because God does not work on my agenda. And he does not operate according to my timeline. Praise God that he doesn't, by the way. I can think of so many things that would be so much worse if I really got my way. Obedience promotes patience. When we learn to trust God, when we learn to follow him, when we learn to yield and submit to his plan, his way, his promise, and trust him that it's good, it promotes patience in our hearts. But also we see that obedience prompts praise. When we experience God's goodness again and again and again, it prompts us to praise Him. To say, God, you are good even when I don't understand it. God, you are good even when I don't like it. God, you are good even when I think my way is better. God, you are good. And I sacrifice all of that knowing that your promise 
is for my good. May we always remember to never forget the goodness of God and what He has done. The power of His promise which points us to Jesus and that His promise is for your good. And so I wonder this morning, what is it specifically that you need to be reminded of today? And I'm not talking like, I'm not talking about your to-do list, right? You get that. I'm not talking about like all the things that got to happen after church. Set aside all that. It'll be there. I got, I got a list too, right? There are things that I got to work on. We, we put all that aside. But I mean in a, in a much more consequential, I suppose, much more, uh, much more uh, supreme way. What is it that God wants you to be reminded of today? Of the stuff that really matters, the stuff that's really valuable, the stuff that's really important, not the stuff that your kids are just going to sell in a garage sale or give to Goodwill when you're gone. But what really matters? Always remember to never forget that God is good. Because remembering what He's done in the past prepares us for what He will do in the future. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And in that time of response today, my hope is that you would listen to the voice of God as He's speaking to you, reminding you of His goodness, reminding you of His power, reminding you of His promise, and all the ways that He's working and all that it is that He's doing, that you might respond in obedience to Him today. And if you're here, and, and perhaps today, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus you're ready to, to trust in his plan of salvation. And even as we sing, I pray that you would step out and make your way to the front. Brad and I will be here at the front. We would love to pray with you and walk you through a prayer of, of, of surrender, really is what I would call it, saying, Lord, I, I submit to you. I want to follow your way. I trust in your goodness. Would you save me from my sin? Or maybe today God wants to remind you of something that he's done because he's preparing you for something he wants to do in the future. And today you just need to say, Lord, Yes. I don't even know what all that might mean. I don't even know everything you're going to do. But God, I'm saying yes. I'm saying I'll follow you as you lead me. May you always remember to never forget the goodness of God.